The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to open up the hollowed halls of leadership. It's time to figure out what the secrets are to being a successful leader and running a successful organization. It's time for VoltCast, Illuminating Leadership. Your host is Jeff Smith, an executive coach and business leader who has over two decades of forward-thinking executive leadership as a human resources and operations professional. Now, Jeff and his guest experts are ready to share their tips and studies with you. Now, here is Jeff Smith. Welcome. So glad you could be with us here today. It is an absolutely spectacular day in uh, Roanoke, Virginia. It's supposed to be 70. I've got a guest here today, Zach Mercurio, who also is in Fort Collins, Colorado, and he said it's a beautiful day there. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited you're here. Uh, I want to give a couple of quick shout outs. Um, so first, just to my friend, Majid Khalif. Majid uh, has been listening to us really since the start and uh, sent us a nice note this week. Uh, Majid and I worked together for Cleveland Clinic uh, on a project in Abu Dhabi, and he's now in Canada. And he says he listens to us during his workouts and has really been getting a lot of the show. And then another guy, uh, Lee West, who I'll be talking to you right after the show. Uh, so Lee's probably listening now. So Lee, I'll talk to you in about an hour. But he's uh, based in Denmark. So uh, thanks for uh, all the folks writing in. They both had suggestions for future shows. So if you want to get in touch with us during the week um, or during the show, um, you can reach out to jeff at voltageleadership.com. During the show, you can call us at 1-866-472-5788. Our website's www.voltageleadership.com. You can like me on Facebook uh, at Voltage Leadership, and then you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Jeff Smith Voltage Leadership Consulting. And if you really want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, JMU Jeff, and uh, Zach and I both have that in common. We both went to James Madison University, so we'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm super excited. We've got Zach McCurie on the show. Zach is an up-and-coming star in sort of the field of um, human resource development, adult learning, um, engagement, motivation in the workplace. Uh, Zach empowers uh, purposeful leaders and helps build purposeful organizations that inspire meaningful work. We can all use that, and, and Zach and I will go through some of the uh, engagement or not engagement scores in our in our country and the world. Yeah. Uh, he's an organizational development consultant, a transformational speaker, and he's an instructor at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado, where he's currently getting his PhD. Uh, he's working uh, d- diligently at that process. Uh, he is also uh, the founder of PurposeSpeaks.com. Uh, it's a great blog. I was out there reading a couple blogs before the show today. I highly recommend it. Again, it's PurposeSpeaks.com. Additionally, he's been a contributor for the Huffington Post and other international media outlets. He also serves as the co-founder of the Foundation for Purposeful Organizations, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting and teaching purposeful leadership and management. Uh, he has been featured in HR, uh, Human Resource Development Review, and at the Academy of Human Resource Development International Research Conference. Zach is married. He's got one child and one coming uh, later this summer. So, Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, and so Zach and I, the way, the way we connected is that we are both James Madison University alums, and I saw that there was this webinar that he was going to be doing, and I was like, wow, that sounds like really cool stuff. So I reached out to Zach, and it was about the time that JMU was going to win the national championship right, in football, right. so it was uh, fun to connect over that, right, Zach? You know? Yeah, we were both there. Yeah, we were at the championship game. We 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 won the championship. Uh, now our women's basketball teams in the Sweet 16, the NIT, yep. our uh, softball teams ranked in the top 10 in the country, and you know our men's basketball team. Well, you know there's going to be next year, and we'll, we'll hopefully be better, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, Zach, let me just do a quick uh, review of majors here because it, it leads to a question for me. You know, so undergrad, you go to James Madison and you're in media arts and design. Then you go, then you head out west, go to Colorado State. You, you get a master's in, in student affairs, sort of the higher education track. And finally, you're this PhD candidate now in this organizational learning, performance, and change. Kind of help me understand the track here. You know, what got you interested in, in what you're studying and what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, well, uh, Funny enough, I and my parents didn't like this at the time, but I was interested in everything <laughs> as an undergrad. Um, what I really got involved in in at JMU was I was got involved in a lot of student leadership positions, um, and unfortunately, uh, leadership, empowering people, coaching people, and motivating people is not in the course catalog traditionally in <laughs> undergrads. Um, and so I was a journalism major just because I liked really understanding people's stories, and I love writing as well. Um, and then I, I really wanted to work in higher education. I actually graduated. I got a job in an advertising uh, field, really was not feeling a connection uh, to to a broader purpose. Uh, which led me out to uh, Colorado, and I wanted to make sure that students essentially didn't end up like me in that first purposeless job. And so I really dedicated a good amount of time uh, coordinating all of the programs for new students at universities to help them really uncover and awaken that sense of purpose. And I did a lot of training and development at the uh, university, which led to a lot of training and development outside the university, which led to a real focus on on purpose and meaning in the workplace and led naturally into uh, this PhD program uh, called Organizational Learning, Performance, and Change, where I do study uh, meaningful work. That's fantastic. So there was, uh, you know, really a sense of uh, you finding your voice, and now it's kind of, uh, you know, matching your educational background to just keep learning and, and fostering uh, both your own growth, but hopefully growth in others as well. So sounds like you're well yeah, on your absolutely. path. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and that's yeah. often what happens is that, you know, I've, I've found, in, especially in working with students and also working with younger employees, that uh, a lot of life and leadership and what we do is is trial and error. And I, I, I think I've been lucky to have environments that have encouraged uh, trial and error in that way and sort of that evolution of how, how we think about a goal in terms of we're always, the goal is kind of evolving as we work uh, toward it. So I've been lucky to have some good mentors. Oh, that's great. Yeah, me too. Uh, Mark Warner at uh, JMU is one of my uh, yep. b- best mentors. And uh, in fact, I just talked to him last week. I don't know, uh, you know, they had a the big uh, campaign for uh, JMU and he was in the uh, karaoke car with uh, the president of the university <laughs> and, uh, uh, and Duke Dog and some others. So I, I gave him a nice shout out and uh, it was nice to connect. And, um, you know, he, he was one of those mentors. And I'm sure now you are that for some of the folks you're teaching and leading. You know, and, and what I'm curious about, um, maybe at the outset, is we kind of call this the cultivation of the invisible leader. You know, yeah. so so what is that invisible leader? 
The invisible leader, um, it really uh, is a term that I've used and some scholars have used actually going back to a management scholar named Mary Parker Follett in the late 1920s where um, she really talked about uh, leadership as not power over but power with Mm -hmm. and that really one of the most powerful leaders and um, influencers of our behaviors and our attitudes are actually not other people, but actually a common purpose, a sense of shared destiny, a sense of uh, a reason for existence that binds people together and actually influences their behavior. I mean, because when you think about it, in the majority of our lives and work, there's not a person, a supervisor, a leader physically present saying, you know, you should make this decision next, or you should have this attitude right now. And that's why a lot of the psychological research have found that it's this sense of of purpose, this sense of reasoning that exists sort of outside the self that actually pulls people through work and optimizes attitude um, and behaviors. And so that's why it's called The Invisible Leader that um, I basically posit, you know, in my new book that that the most powerful leaders, you know, when you look back at the history of humankind are not necessarily people, but ideas, by, but common purposes that, that bring people together um, that they share. Hmm. Uh, you, do you have an example of that? I'm sure, you know, with writing a book, you probably have an example or two. You want to share an example of sort of that positive unifier that, that helped drive? Yeah. I, I, well, since we talked about sports, I'll use a sports example. Um, sure. And there was a, if you look back right down the road for me is the University of Colorado. Um, and an interesting thing happened there between 1988 and 1990. Um, in, in 88, they were, they were okay. They weren't doing too well in their conference. Um, they had just gotten this great recruiting class. The, the coach that was there had been there. Bill McCartney had been there for uh, almost five years at the time. Um, and they were sort of just on this level playing field, not really progressing um, and getting over that hump of becoming in the national conversation. And um, something really remarkable happened with that team is later that year, one of their star, sort of the future of their program, this guy named Sal Ayunis, who's a who's a star quarterback, um, he started showing up for practice and he started, you know, vom- vomiting and having stomach cramps. And the team said, okay, we got to check this guy into the hospital. And, and the next day they learned that he had uh, advanced staged stomach cancer. And this was a guy on the team that um, was was the future of the team. And the team really rallied around this. You know, Sal would come in and he would give, um, you know, emotional talks to the team. He would visit the team. And he kept saying that we are going to, uh, you know, we are going to win and I'm going to be back and I'm going to be back playing again. This is not going to beat me. And so interestingly enough, what started happening is the team started performing better. In fact, you know, Sal would come to the games and they would all get together in in the middle of the field and point up to where he was sitting. Well, that year, I think they went 11 and one in 1989 and Sal actually passed away middle of that year. And in the next uh, year, uh, they won the national championship. And when you look back and, and you think about uh, and you talk to the coaches or you read news articles about the time, nothing really changed. Like the leadership style didn't change, personnel didn't change, uh, no tactic changed, how they practiced. 
but they had this reason that was bigger mm. than all of them, this common reason for existence, which was called playing for Sal that served as an individual invisible leader that really pulled that team through those two seasons and motivated uh, the result. And, and there is a lot of stories like that from um, the business world as well. But just looking from a team perspective, uh, I think Bill McCartney said, you know, in that year, the team really, uh, the bus drove itself. And that's the idea of the invisible leader, that when we have a reason for existence that binds us, that focuses on something outside of ourselves, that it guides us and pulls us forward, the bus sort of drives itself. Oh, that's great. You know, it's interesting. I didn't realize we were talking about that. I saw 30 for 30 a couple months yep. ago uh, yep. on ESPN about this. That's great and, one. Uh, yep. Yeah, ended up uh, kind of maybe joining in the middle and watch the rest of it and, uh, you know, had no idea that I ended up talking about it on the yeah. radio show. <laughs> yeah, that's called The Gospel According to Mac. It's a it's a good one. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I like what you're saying, too. Like, the, the bus drives itself. Um, so we've got uh, maybe a minute and a half for our first break here. You know, when we talk about meaningful work, Let's just get a definition, and then we'll sort of pick up about how do we find it in the workplace. But when you're saying meaningful work, what does that mean maybe in you know, sort of a 30-second definition? Yeah, meaningful work is work that someone um, feels is significant and that it matters to the world, and it matters to people outside of themselves. And that's the definition that's uh, been in the psychological research for a while, and and I'll talk more about that definition later, but work that is perceived as significant and mattering to the individual. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, it's interesting. I just left um, meetings this morning at the hospital. And so there's some institutions where it's pretty obvious. You know, we, we uh, right outside the emergency room department, meeting with the guys in charge of emergency room, you could hear the ambulances coming in, the helicopters, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I've also worked for a, a credit card company. And so maybe on the mm. other side of the break, we can start to talk about you know, what happens when it's not quite so obvious, like where it's good for mankind? Um, so we'll, we'll pick up on Definitely. that. Uh, Zach um, Curio is going to be with us the whole show. So uh, if you've got questions, please feel free to call in. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a two-minute break, and we'll see you after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America Business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Volcast Illuminating Leadership. To reach Jeff Smith or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jeff at VoltageLeadership.com. Now back to VoltCast Illuminating Leadership. Welcome back and so glad you could be with us today. I've got Zach Mercurio on today. And Zach uh, is a um, speaker, an author, a teacher, um, working on his PhD right now, uh, really specifically around uh, purposeful work um, as well as finding meaningful work in our workplace. And before the break, we had got to talking a little bit about you know, in healthcare and in some professions, it's pretty easy to see mission, though I got to tell you, I'm sure, Zach, you've seen the same. Often they get hung up in the daily life and forget about the mission, you know, and the, yeah. their purpose. You know, but my question sort of before the break was, you know, I used to work for a credit card company, Capital One, and, uh, you know, I felt like we had a great team and all that. But there were certainly days like when you're calling and collecting money or providing maybe some customer service and you might get the same question 17 times a day where mm. or, or it was a little hard maybe to see that if this was still meaningful work or not you know what, what do you see sort of in your practice and your studies and research yeah so uh, that's a great question and and i've devoted my a lot of my research right now because i got asked this question a lot to people who are in um you know, what can be stigmatized by society even as meaningless work. And so I actually study people like mechanics and janitors and, and bus drivers and people who are doing, you know, what, what has been called in the literature, dirty jobs. Mm. Um, and what, what I found, and I was recently interviewing a janitor, um, and she had decided to come back out of retirement to be a janitor again. She had worked 30 years up to this position where she could retire. She was working for the state, but she decided to come back. And I asked her naturally, as one would, why? You know, why did you come <laughs> sure. back? And uh, she told me I couldn't stand the thought of students in the residence hall that I worked in not having that parent figure away from home. Mm. And she was a university janitor. Sure. And that purpose was so powerful for her that it literally pulled her out of retirement. And so as I've been interviewing these janitors and mechanics, and I just recently did, a, did some work with some school bus drivers who are in positions where socioeconomically outside of work, things may not be going well. They don't get paid all that much. They don't have a lot of benefits. Sometimes it's mundane, routine work. And what I found is that when people are able to focus on the human being at the end of whatever they're doing. You know, you mentioned uh, the credit card company of calling, but thinking about that human being with a life as, you know, vivid and complex 
as your own. And when leadership and organizations create an environment in which every day that is a part of the sort of the fabric of the culture that we talk about the people, um, it can be really, you know, psychologically powerful um, for people. Adam Grant, he's a psychologist at the Wharton (laughs) School, uh, did a study um, where he took a uh, university call center, basically people who call and ask for money. And it's a very, it was a high turnover job. It was like a telemarketing job, part-time for students. I mean, a very difficult environment you could imagine to motivate and inspire people. And he took one group, it was a control group, and uh, he didn't do anything with them. It was just a shift. He let them continue calling and doing what they did. He took this experimental group, and all he did was bring in a student to talk about how a scholarship helped change their life, one of the scholarships, for five minutes. And then he studied them over six months. And what he found was the students, the shift, who heard the story, saw the person of how the scholarship made a difference in their lives. Actually, they started off making around $100 an hour bringing in per caller um, per week. By the end of that six months, they had brought in about an average of $503 per caller uh, per week. They spent double the amount of time on the phone, whereas the shift who didn't hear that story for five minutes actually um, went down. And so one of the things that I think management leaders can do and people who are in these positions to do is to consistently highlight the human at the end of the supply chain, at the end of the service chain, uh, bring in people, bring in people to tell their stories. And it can be really powerful with these frontline workers in these stigmatized jobs. I have found that the human uh, experience and understanding the human story of whatever it is that's at the end of the service or supply chain is really powerful. Mm. That's rich. Uh, it's interesting. I'm just finishing um, Originals. Uh, oh, and, yeah, yeah. The second one. book. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've truly enjoyed it. So if, you, if you're looking for a good read that there's lots of application to real world, but you take it from places you wouldn't normally think, uh, I, I recommend Adam Grant's book, uh, Originals. It's uh, uh, out in the last couple of months. Um, yeah, you know, the study that I just mentioned is in his book, Give and Take. If give and Take, yeah. Yeah, I wrote it down. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to pick that book up next when I'm reading this, if I'm done reading this one. Um, uh, one highlight to go back to uh, from last week, Joanne Losey and I talked about storytelling, and mm. a lot of what you're talking about right here fits perfectly into, you know, and we talked about on the show last week. I'm like, this is going to work so great with Zach coming in. So if you're interested in learning more about storytelling, the elements of it, how to create a good story, go back and listen to last week's Illuminating Leadership I uh, just shared the example of I, go, I went to a Goodwill breakfast. Um, you know, we they're one of our clients, but we also like to donate to them, and they they do this brilliantly. Um, you know, it's sometimes hard to to see their workplace, and some of their work is uh, mundane for some of the folks that they're asking to do the work. Mm. But they bring in um, four to five people that it's impacted, um, and it's not always the worker. Sometimes it's the who the worker has uh, interacted with at a store or, you know, in, um, you know, a workplace. And I got to tell you, it, I, I will resonate with that for six or seven months, you know, and so yeah. the money I give, I, you know, I completely have forgotten, but I'm walking around with these stories in my head. And so I think they do a, a great job of sort of showing that meaningful work. And it is a great cause and a great mission, but it's also that they really uh, connect with you and make sure that you understand the purpose of what you're uh, volunteering in or you're doing your work in. And so I, I think those are, uh, those are brilliant. Yeah, it, it is brilliant. I, I always imagine, you know, what if instead of telling people what to do, 
we first showed them vividly why it mattered. I, mm-hmm. I mean, through these stories. I mean, when you think about um, onboarding people into an organization or starting people on a job, I mean, typically what I see is people, especially in, in repetitive work, whether it's uh, people at a call center or um, people in work where they are more separated from human beings in their everyday life or the output. But what if we, what if we created cultures that showed them at the beginning why it mattered through storytelling, through those um, people, it, it can be really powerful. And then a lot of research shows that then when people are committed in that way to the human beings at the end of whatever it is that you're doing, they're more likely to then tell sto- the story of your organization. Um, you know, I was working with a group of nonprofit executive directors, and I always ask them, you know, what what's your biggest problem? And they they always tell me money. And but that's really not the problem. I mean, the problem is the problem you exist to solve, the human problem you exist to solve in the world, not that you need a new building, not that you need money, profit, revenue. Those are all solutions to solving that human problem. When you can bring that human problem and that human being to the forefront, into the fabric of of the work, of the culture of the organization, it can be really psychologically powerful um, for people. You know, your story with Goodwill reminded me of, um, you know, I, I work with some fundraisers a lot and I always say, you know, I'm at the dinner table with you. You need a new building. You need money for a new building. What would you say? And they'd usually say, well, I give you the specs of my building. We need more money for a building. That's very easy for me to like psychologically get myself out of, you know, um, right. I already have that, you know, I already giving, I, you know, why do you need that new building? Why is it so big versus if say it was a humane society and they were saying, oh, you know, hey, Zach, you know, we really believe that no animal should be homeless. Um, Would you, would you like to to partner with us. It would be really hard for me to go home and, you, and be like, you know, not today. I'm not really into that today. Um, and so again, the psychological power of just flipping that and thinking about the, the belief that you have about the problem you exist to solve and bringing those real stories to life is one of the, the foundational elements of fostering meaningful work. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was uh, reading one of your blogs here about purpose and, uh, you know, it, it's the one that had some stats in it. Like, Almost uh, 68.5% of U.S. workers are, are disengaged. Uh, it's even greater, like 87% in the world. The yeah. one that was really, I mean, I kind of heard those enough. The one that startled me, though, was that 62% of managers are disengaged, right? Yeah. Which I guess makes some sense because they're the ones that kind of manage those disengaged workers, right? But, you know, we've got a lot of leaders that are listening to this show. You know, we'll start here and then we'll continue after the break, but you know, what's our role as a manager or a leader, you know, to, to maybe create an atmosphere where meaningful work and purpose can be sought and found? Yeah, I, th- I mean, that, that is such a great question. And when you look at the definition of engagement, it's, it's by Gallup, the organization that does a lot of these assessments, it's people who are enthusiastic, prideful, and committed to the workplace. And I think we have to unpack that definition. I think so often we throw around the statistics, but we don't know what engagement is. And that pride and the enthusiasm and that commitment, all of those things are emotional components. They're emotional constructs. Um, And so when it comes to leadership and leaders, we have to think about that, what are we doing to cultivate the deep emotional bond of an employee, of a person to the purpose of the organization. 
And I think cultivating that emotional bond takes some, some reframing in a world where we are just constantly hammered and measured uh, on results and things to accomplish. Um, but, you know, the research repeatedly finds that people don't commit to things because of what they do or because of the dats and that data and stats um, of something. They commit to something because they believe what you believe. And so cultivating belief in an organization and the purpose is really powerful. And after the break, I can talk a little bit more about some strategies to do that from a leadership perspective. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, this this goes with uh, an earlier conversation that Lee Hubert and I had around, uh, it comes from change the culture, change the game, that you know, you can take, if you're trying to get a different set of results, a lot of people just take an action and that's kind of like the flavor of the month. What you really, if you want to change the culture, you really got to get down into beliefs and then create a new set of experiences that will change beliefs. And so it sounds like we're... Sounds like we're going to really uh, hit on that after the break. So what we're going to be doing is talking to Zach for the next uh, half an hour here. So uh, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot us an email. If not, we'll be back in touch in about two minutes. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Aliens with Gas, we are the extraterrestrial rock show airing every Saturday afternoon on the voiceamerica.com variety channel. <laughs> Whatever happens out and about, it kind of dictates our conversation. For sure. And we like to tie in a little bit of the past and obviously keep it real current. And real current was a couple nights ago right here in Phoenix, a phenomenon happened. On Thursday night. Phenomenon. 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 All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday at 2 p.m. Pacific time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Volcast Illuminating Leadership. To reach Jeff Smith or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to Jeff at VoltageLeadership.com. Now back to VoltCast Illuminating Leadership. Welcome back. I'm here today with Zach Mercurio. We are having a conversation around uh, meaningful work, purpose, uh, how do we provide that? How do we engage that in our, in our whole world? Um, so we'll continue our conversation. Uh, Zach, during the break, we did get an email in, so I'm just going to um, kind of plant that seed for a little bit later in the show. But uh, one of our listeners wants to know, what's the role of faith and our inner self in meaningful work? Huh. So we'll come back to that one. I want to continue our conversation. I jot it down, so I'll get back to it. But just sort of faith and our inner self in meaningful work. So we'll come back to that. What we were talking about, though, um, and I could hear some of the people out there rolling their eyes. I know who you are. You know, they're like... <laughs> I'm pounded with deep results. You don't know my culture and you want me to have <sighs> space for it. connecting with a deep emotional bond and make sure people understand our purpose. Come on. Have you heard my schedule today? And, and yep. I've got to find time to connect and care about those stinking people. Come on. So, <laughs> so Zach, you know, help, help some of those leaders that are like, wow, they really are busy. Um, but what are some strategies that, that they can help maybe stay connected to the purpose, foster that within their, within their uh, workplace? What, what strategies would you know? You know, it's funny. That's fun. I'm, and I'm from I'm from the East Coast. I'm not saying anything because I know a lot of your listeners <laughs> on the East Coast. And so I have been known in my other supervisory roles to be, you know, direct results focused, which is so funny that people think it's interesting that this is what I study, the emotional aspects um, of leadership. But uh, I just want to, you know, there was, I just want to put a quick plug in here. Uh, there's a neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio. And if you're interested in emotion versus logic, what really motivates people's decisions, whether to engage in your organization, to engage in work, to buy your products, to buy your services, um, it's a great study. He studied people with damage in the part of their brain where emotions are generated. Um, mm-hmm. And what he found is that they, they seemed relatively normal, except that they, they couldn't feel emotions. But what he found, which is really fascinating, is they all had something in common, and that's the fact that they couldn't make decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, could, they could describe what they wanted to be doing sort of in logical terms, um, but they found it very difficult to make even simple decisions such as what to eat or to, to uh, what to wear. Um, and with no rational way to decide, they could not arrive at decisions. Hmm. And uh, this is sort of a groundbreaking study that found that people just do not make, we do not make decisions. It's been repeated and replicated a number of times based on um, uh, logic most of the time. And it's based on that emotional tie. The logic helps to frame the the decision. But when we're making decisions, which every day is sort of a a series of decisions, employees making a series of decisions, should I engage? Should I go the uh, extra mile? Should I go above and beyond? Um, Should I uh, commit to this place? Uh, That emotion is powerful. And when we don't recognize that, as robustly as we strategize these other areas, whether it's financials or benefits or salaries, uh, then we miss out on, on, on what's been argued as 70% of human decision-making capacity. So there's my little plug for emotion. There you go. <laughs> but uh, I think that, you know, when, we, when, it, comes, when it comes down to, to purpose and, and that why and really investing and cultivating this, you know, what I call the invisible leader – it just really comes back to, to human history. You know, I've, I've got a lot of people, whether I'm doing a keynote or something, where they say, oh, you know, this is just a millennial issue. And I, I always say, you know, 
the search for meaning and purpose is a human issue. It's not a fad. It'll never go out of style. It's been around since the Protestant Reformation in the late 1500s and the division of labor and the sense of calling. Like it's, it, it's not necessarily a fad um, or a tactic or a strategy. I mean, purpose is having a reason for, for existence, a reason for doing what you're doing um, during work, which for work, for us, we spend up to almost 35% of our waking lives there. And so I just think that we can't detach management and leadership from the fact that we're responsible for almost half of human beings' waking lives. And so cultivating an environment that fosters meaning, I think, is sort of an imperative of the modern organizations. But, but how do you do this? I mean, I think one of the ways is, is just being really crystal clear about why your organization exists and detach it from results. I know we've probably all had people come in or talk about mission, vision, value statements. There's always a new statement coming out in the Harvard Business Review that we need to come up with. Um, <laughs> but I think having a, a, a real sense of why you exist detached from what you do is incredibly powerful. You know, I think of Southwest Airlines and their in, initial purpose was to democratize the skies. It had nothing to do with like... They didn't talk about airplanes. They didn't talk about the, their, the space between their seats or all these specs. But that's, that's that core purpose of why the company was founded. And they, if you read into them, have a very firm um, belief in that purpose to the point where in 2010, they were willing to forego $300 million of extra revenue in charging for bags to keep with that purpose of keeping air travel accessible to across the socioeconomic spectrum. They ended up making a billion dollars by doing opposite of what everybody does and hmm. doing the back fly free campaign. But that's what happens when you have a clarity from the leadership of purpose that's pervasive in the organization, that's repeated, that's socialized within people's life cycle. And I think another way to do that is to create those rep repeated shared and dramatic experiences. You know, how do people at every level of the organization know and feel the purpose? How do your stakeholders know and feel why you exist? Um, it's not like a team building retreat or an end of the end of the year awards banquet. I mean like real um, up close stories of your customers' lives being changed by what you do and repeating those experiences over time, you know, one one quick thing you could do is just look at your meetings. Uh, you know, those those monthly meetings or quarterly meetings. Most of the time, what I've seen is they're like update fests. It's just here's an update, <laughs> here's an update, here's an update, here's an update, and people kind of zone out until it's their time to give an update. Again, that doesn't tie into people's emotions. Maybe going around and just having each person share one story of a customer's life that they impacted that month for one minute could have a dramatic, not only um, effect on the meeting, but effect on people's prolonged engagement. So that's a couple of those examples. And then the, the, the third thing I would think about is rewarding purposeful behavior. You know, sometimes um, I always see like, you know, someone will come to me, a client, and they'll say, oh, Zach, my people, there's a lot of infighting. You know, nobody gets along. And I always say, you know, show me what you reward. And almost always, we reward for self-serving behaviors, efficiency, performance, effort, loyalty, and self-oriented rewards often result in self-oriented teams. But purpose, by default, is other-centered. You know, we, we wouldn't have a reason for doing anything if there weren't other humans involved. And so think about how you're rewarding for purpose and other-centeredness, for helpfulness, 
um, for going above and beyond, for serving the, the customer or the person, for talking about purpose. Those things can really are very cheap and inexpensive to change, but they really can have a profound impact psychologically on people. Oh, that's great. So, you know, I, I was just pondering as you were talking, um, uh, this goes back to my Capital One days. Uh, we had a leader named Catherine Busser. We called her Bus. Um, and and uh, I remember her standing up and sharing the story of people, you know, that used our credit cards that had gotten stuck in other countries and this success story of being able to, yeah. to get them, you know, after the car has been stolen, being able to get to a wedding on time, getting home to see, you know, someone that was dying. And, and so that that call that was just your normal customer service call was no longer just a customer service call. It became, you know, to your point, you know, that human being on the, at the end of the supply chain of our product had a real, they, they were the human being now, not, you know, call number 72 of the day, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, additionally, uh, we were, I worked there um, right at 9-11 and mm. uh, everyone, of course, remembers that. I can remember lots from those days, but um a few weeks later, most people forget that there was all these anthrax scares. Um, and um, so in October of 2001, we were um, all sitting on parking decks because people decided that they were going to send back in our credit card things, um, you know, sort of Clorox, bleach, things like that. But we didn't know if it was anthrax or not. So the FBI had shut down all of our machines. So our entire management team is opening millions of pieces of mail because all of our machines are not working. And wow. it was it was just this great sense of like we really got in touch with you know we're, we're out there for like ten hour shifts opening credit cards you know with a you know letter opener, but she kept coming back and really putting the face of the customer so that you know by the time you open three hundred you know pieces of mail in an hour it gets a little monotonous but she did a great job of really connecting, and I gotta tell you you know that was not the most exciting work that I've ever done but I never felt more <laughs> part of our purpose. And yep. I saw the meaning. I would stay on there for a few more years at Capital One. And, and I think it helped me become such a much better leader in the next two or three roles because I'd seen our customers up close and personal by opening hundreds and hundreds of letters, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a great story of this idea of this invisible leader where that your leader sort of awakened that common cause, but it, it was the idea of helping others, sort of a shared common sense of empathy, I think that just unites people. And uh, I think that one of the things is that some leaders, and, and myself included sometimes, you, we think that that just happens, you know, that, that that type of thing happens. And I always say that you can strategize that type mm-hmm. of culture. You can strategize the investment in, in that type of movement and cause on a daily basis if you know, we really think about it as robustly and as intensively as we think about our financial strategy and these other strategies as well, and and oftentimes results follow, you know, the pursuit of something that's bigger than everybody, um, and I think that that's something that um, is 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 sometimes lost in this purpose conversation. Some people say, Zach, well, we have to make money, and I I know we're about to break, but there's this really great quote uh, from a guy named Barry Chandler, and he owns a consulting firm called StoryForge. They do purpose consulting. And he says, without purpose, profit is meaningless. But without profit, purpose is just a dream. So I'm not saying we should dump these financial 
um, goals, but knowing that uh, the purpose is what really delivers that and justifies the organization's existence uh, in the world. And so pursuing that first, the results follow. Oh, yeah. Zach, you know, what I really liked from the section was, you know, this this crystal clear, get really crystal clear on the definition of purpose, helping people connect it, doing mm-hmm. it repeated and shared, make sure that there's dramatic experiences, really, you know, call those out, kind of like Catherine Busser in that last story, and then rewarding um, and celebrating those purposeful behaviors. Don't let it just happen by chance. Be real intentional about what you're rewarding. And don't just reward sort of the selfish behavior. Which behaviors really supported our purpose and the meaningful work? So when we come back, we'll have some, some tools and tips for you to take away. So we'll be back in two minutes for our last segment. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Volcast Illuminating Leadership. To reach Jeff Smith or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jeff at VoltageLeadership.com. Now back to Volcast Illuminating Leadership. Welcome back, and so glad you could be with us today. I got Zach Mercurio here for the last part of the show. We've been talking about uh, purposeful leadership, um, defining it, meaningful work in our workplace, and we got in this one question and about, you know, what's the role of faith and our inner self in meaningful work? You know, um, Zach, I'll maybe let you take a stab at it first, and then then I'll add my two cents in. Well, uh, you know, 
It's a great question. And if you're interested in more on this, I have a book that I recommend. It's called Make Your Job a Calling. It's by Dr. Brian Dick. He's a psychologist um, here at Colorado State, but he actually studies the meaningfulness of work from a perspective of calling. Mm. Um, And it's really a fascinating read. But I think that something that we can't separate is, you know, from a historical and spiritual perspective, this modern sort of concept of purpose and work and meaning in organizations can actually be traced back to the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s and Martin Luther. Um, And before that, philosophers had seen work as sort of a necessary evil, a necessary thing to do um, in order to live. But Martin Luther took a view of work as divine, and he sort of wrote in this classic way, he said, the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ in sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field. And that changed really how we view work. In fact, probably in your organization or in your educational institution, you see a division of labor, right? That you go to, you can go to school for a specific thing. And this idea that we can be called and choose where we're called to be is what really set up our modern division of labor. And so it really does have a root in some of these um, Judeo-Christian um, values, and that has sort of that that has sort of kept um, consistently through in terms of thinking work on the psychological uh, work on calling and meaningfulness at work. But I do think that that self perspective is incredibly important. You know, I've always found in my work that the the most extraordinary people do ordinary things with an extraordinary perspective. And I think that sometimes people's different faith bases that that are throughout the rest of their lives impact their perspective inevitably on the world. And so I've often heard that people's personal values are uh, very much affect how they view work from that perspective. So I think purpose and meaningful work is also about how you craft the work yourself. And I think that comes from that inner work. But the concept actually has roots all the way back into the late 1500s. Uh, Great explanation. I I love it. Uh, As an executive coach, um, a lot of the work I do is helping individuals, teams, and organization get aligned around their values. Um, Mm. And um, often I'll start at the individual level. And then it's amazing how often, once you take it to the team, they're similar and how similar they, they're not always the spouse values that are on the wall, but they're the values that as you build it up from individual team to organization. And if you sort of take it from so many sort of spiritual backgrounds, I'm not, you know, right. the, oh, they're yeah. the things that you read about, right? So I do think there's something that's centered in there. And the closer that we can come to individual matching team and team matching organization, then I think that's where we get the alignment. And if we have enlightened leaders, that will ask questions and create the container where people can live out their values, then I, I think that we would move away from so many people being in this disengaged space and we'd be into this engaged, meaningful work where people are that enthusiastic, where they go home excited and home is more meaningful as well. Absolutely. So, I can't, couldn't agree with you more. So what I'm curious about is maybe just, uh, you know, here towards the end, what are a couple tips or suggestions you'd have for us to learn more about this or to, um, you know, incorporate into our workplace? Yeah, you know, I'd highly recommend there's a book called The Purpose Economy by Mm -hmm. Aaron Hurst. And um, that is a great book for those of you who are um, still thinking in economic terms. Those are uh, a great book. 
that that talks about how purpose is the next economy because of our interconnectedness to other people. Our human empathy has actually been increasing over the years, and which is why you're seeing a, a lot of millennials sort of clamoring for purpose. Um, and so it's it really is an interesting read about that interconnectivity and the the role of purpose. Um, and then also really check out, uh, you know, my book is going to be coming out. It's called The Invisible Leader. It's all about sort of the psychological, historical, sociological work that's been done on how purpose can influence our behaviors more than any one person. But um, in terms of practical tips, I think that one of the things, if, if you're working in an organization, you're leading an organization that's really powerful is just to have people complete this statement. I mean, have them write it down on a half sheet of paper, create an online survey that says, I felt like my job mattered when, and have them just fill it out in any way that you want them to. And what you're going to find is you're going to learn in your organization what makes people feel like they're significant, that they matter, and that they're doing good. And those are the three components of meaningful work. I just did this with, with school bus drivers um, and it's on the blog right now. And I was just blown away. Uh, people had told me that this was going to be a tough crowd, that they, the, the school bus drivers really weren't interested in meaning and purpose. And I asked them, you know, to fill this out. And, you know, I'll never forget that this, the first one I read was this person who said, I felt like my job mattered um, when I was at the funeral of a young student. Um, and his parents told me that his, their son's ride to school was the highlight of his short life. Mm. That that having that impact and how do you create an environment that repeats experiences where people are deeply connected to the human beings that they serve? And in any industry, I believe there's a human being at the end of the supply chain. Um, and so how do you connect people to that, that human being's life? And I think it first starts, if you want to create an environment that repeats experiences of meaningfulness, you have to first know what the experiences of meaningfulness are are in your specific organization, in your context. Because every every context is different. Um, a lot of people bring, you know, we haven't talked about, you know, sort of the pre-existing personalities and values that people bring that influence meaningful work. But to get a sense of where you are, and it's a good idea to do it yourself too, where you are and where your organization is, that's a great uh, place to start. And then just having the conversation, you know, changing the narrative in your organization about, talking about some of these things that we've talked about today with your leadership team, uh, with your mentors, with your supervisees of meaning and purpose uh, can really bring to light some really rich data that you can act upon. Zach, it has just been a joy. You know, uh, there's so much more to cover. So uh, what what I say is, uh, you know, as you get closer to that book being published uh, late summer, The Invisible Leader, you know, we'll, we'll look to maybe have it back on the show at that point. That would be um, great. So, yeah, thanks for being here. Let me Absolutely. tell you what's coming. What's coming up here for our listeners next week, we will have Petra Platzer on our show. We're going to be talking about uh, how do we move from this sort of expert leader to a strategic facilitator. Move from being a person that has to have all the answers and to a spot where you really are facilitating the right conversation. So it'll be a little bit about delegation, a little bit about how do you shift a mindset. So once we sort of know our purpose, how do we help others live it out? So we'll be a continuation of this conversation uh, again with Petra Platzer. If uh, you would like to reach us during the week, please give us a call at area code 540-798-1963 or an email at jeff at voltageleadership.com. Voltageleadership.com is our website. You can like me on Facebook at Voltage Leadership. Follow me on Twitter at Jamie Jeff. 
And what I really appreciate is, uh, Zach, you coming on the show, uh, bringing such great ideas. Good luck in your PhD and keep up the fantastic work. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Absolutely. And to our listeners, we'll be back next week at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll make sure that uh, Petra and I have a great conversation to help you lead to some illuminating leadership. In the meantime, make it a great week. And thanks for being with us. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Voltcast, Illuminating Leadership. Please join your host, Jeff Smith, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll discuss another engaging topic next week. 